first episode was a bit of an explanatory one, wasn't it? I deep dive into special drawing rights and what it means for your economy. In this episode, we seek out economists to help package what the SDRs mean for the low-income countries whose resource envelopes have gone through a strain created by the COVID-19 pandemic. Good morning, Africa. Welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ritha Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at The K Financial and you can find me at Ritha Dong. In 2020, Sub-Saharan Africa experienced its first recession in over 25 years and a special economic instrument in special drawing rights could be a great boost for the recovery of many of the economies. A keen look at the landscape of the special drawing rights will show you that the playing field is anything but leveled for all economies. The United States of America holds up to 82,994 special drawing rights. China holds a considerable 30,482, while Japan, sitting on the same side of the table, holds 30,820. In Africa, Rwanda has 160 special drawing rights, Uganda sits with 361, and Kenya sits more comfortable with 542 drawing rights. An increased allocation of SDRs could have a profound financial and psychological effect across the African continent. This increase, expected to amount to $500 billion, will expand allocations for all countries according to the IMF quotas. Here is the head of United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, UNECA head, Vera Songwe, on the importance of SDRs. Um, as you know, this is our um, Ministers of Finance and Development Week at the Economic Commission for Africa. Um, we, this week, of course, are talking a lot about Africa's sustainable industrialization uh, uh, in a digital era in the context of COVID-19. But it's almost impossible to not start by talking first about the impact of COVID-19 on our economies and then how we get out of it. What has been the impact? The impact has been devastating. We haven't had as much of a health uh, crisis, I think, on the health side, we've been more resilient. But our economies have plummeted growth. We've had the first recession in over 25 years on the in the economies. Our revenues have dropped already. Africa's revenues to GDP was not that high. We're now averaging, we were averaging 15% before the crisis. We're now averaging 7%. That is because many countries put in place, you know, fiscal policies that allowed for a stay in payment of tax receipts. Secondly, you know, a lot of our countries are also commodity rich uh, uh, and uh, countries. And so countries like South Africa, um, Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, all the countries, you know, Nigeria, of course, which is a high uh, oil exporting country. Also, their imports drop and their exports drop. And so as a consequence, revenues fall. Tourism, tourism from, you know, Cape Verde to Seychelles to Morocco to Kenya, you are, I think, um, also saw their revenues drop. So you could see that there was a diverse impact on the countries. And then, of course, we had interruptions in global supply chains, drops in trade. So we also a huge dip in our exports, uh, which meant, again, that, you know, we had huge current account deficits, which meant that our currencies weakened because the dollar was stronger. So if you look across the board, we had, you know, on the economic side, a global comprehensive, you know, negative impact on it. What does this mean? These are all numbers. I think that eventually what it means is that over 100 million more people fell into poverty, which meant that their incomes are dropping below $1.90 a day. 
And we are estimating with the ILO, the International Labour Organization, that Africa stands to lose somewhere in the other of about, you know, 30 million jobs. So it's about poverty, it's about job loss, it's about drops in productivity. And of course, for governments, it's about drops in revenues. And, and so huge and important impacts for our economies. In the two months following the crisis, the developed world offered itself about $7 trillion in fiscal stimulus to respond to the crisis and ensure that the impact of the crisis was not that hard on their economies. So if you think, you know, $7 trillion more or less in the two, three months, and, and this was the right thing to do. So let's be clear about that. And, you know, the developing world had, the advanced economies had learned from the 2008-2009 crisis where, you know, the clear lessons from that crisis were act fast, act for long enough. And 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 so, you know, what happened was, you know, the United States first two, two trillion dollars and another two, and then now $1.9 trillion. So if you think about that, you know, developed economies, advanced economies gave themselves 20% of their GDP. That is somewhere in the orders of the 13, 14 trillion dollars. So when Africa is asking for a hundred billion, I think it's uh, quite realistic actually. And um, what we are seeing now, hopefully with the special drawing rights, which is essentially the global community comes together and agrees to create and print money for everybody, that you know Africa may be able to finally get this hundred billion that we've been asking for. The sad thing about it is that we're getting it a little bit late. We're getting it later in the game. We should have gotten it immediately when the crisis hit. Because, you know, the longer, as you know, the longer you stay out of a job, the longer you close your business, the more difficult it is to reopen. The reason why it's good to act quickly is that you keep businesses open, you keep airlines flying, you keep, uh, uh, you know, all the small and medium enterprises, you give them access to to resources to continue their capital formation. So um, short answer, yes, it's realistic compared to what the rest of the world did. I think Africa could have generated those resources for itself. And let's start by saying that Africa itself did give, you know, about $46 billion of its own resources to help stave the crisis. And what do I mean by that? We redirected expenditure from taxation to social safety nets to purchasing of the PPEs. If you remember when the crisis started in March last year, the big conversation was around can we get access to PPEs and all that? And so, you know, you had countries like South Africa that released, you know, somewhere in the other of $26 billion to fight the crisis. Egypt, somewhere in the other of $6 billion. Uh, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, $1.2 billion. Senegal, 700 So African economies actually did put some of their resources to, to work uh, uh, to ensure that we didn't fall deep, deeper into the crisis. But we would have needed these external resources to make sure that we were much better off. At the Economic Commission for Africa, we have always said that Africa needs to grow at 7% at the least and at two digits at the most to be able to get everybody out of poverty within the 2030 timeframe. Before the crisis, we were growing at 3.2%. East Africa, which is sort of our uh, uh, flag bearer on growth on the continent, was growing at an average of about 6%. We're seeing some recovery. Unfortunately, as we call it in that the Economic Commission for Africa, we're suffering a triple crisis. We have the COVID crisis, the economic crisis, and a climate crisis. 
and East Africa was growing quite well before the crisis has now been hit by, you know, natural disasters, low cost, uh, poor weather. And, and so we are also seeing some pullback on that on, on, on that front. But we hope that we can begin to see some recovery, particularly for economies where domestic consumption has kicked in to replace a lot of the export demand that we see. So I think we're predicting that Kenya, Ethiopia, uh, Uganda may begin to see uh, a little bit of a recovery, maybe Ivory Coast as well. But it is going to take us at least uh, through and, and the, with the IMF as well, at least to reach, you know, past uh, growth numbers we will be in 2022, which is why we continue to need this additional fiscal resources and, and additional fiscal space to just make sure that we get out of the crisis. Again, as I said, 30 million people that have lost their jobs, 100 million falling into poverty. Remember, we have a huge informal sector on the continent and getting additional special drawing rights will help us to be able to channel resources to the private sector that can bring back the jobs. There are ads that the disparities reflected in the SDRs plays out in real economic terms. It comes down to the details as crucial as vaccine access, which most African countries are struggling with. And as we all know, that the longer we drag on the vaccination exercise, the longer economies have to wait to restart. I think two things. One, on the monetary policy side, a lot of our sort of monetization of particularly advanced economies has been in non-bank financial institutions. And so one of the things, lessons that we learned from 2008 was to be able to shore them up very quickly. And so what we saw a lot uh, from the advanced economies was central bank repurchasing of a lot of assets to provide more liquidity and particularly to the corporate sector to ensure. So we had, you know, uh, the creation of a number of uh, repo facilities. We had a number of asset repurchasing uh, vehicles that we put in place. We had, of course, on the fiscal side, you know, stimuluses. We had a huge release of uh, uh, social safety net policies to ensure that, you know, we didn't have more people falling into poverty. But I think the most important lesson was act quickly. And, you know, again, as I said, two, three months after the crisis, we saw all this developed economies you know, releasing uh, resources into the economy, creating new and novel uh, mechanisms to ensure that there was liquidity because, you know, there was a rush for cash, you know, when the crisis started and there was uh, this disruptions in supply chains, people thought, okay, I better get enough resources. So I have resources to run my business for six months or to pay my taxes or to pay uh, a salary. So I think there was that rush for cash, the government's putting money into the system to sort of, you know, uh, uh, calm the processes. The second thing that we have seen, which we learned from the 2008-2009 crisis was in 2008-2009, there was a faster pullback of the, the sort of, you know, support mechanisms. Yes, quantitative easing lasted for a little bit longer, but in terms of sort of active stimulus, active injections of liquidity into the economies, you know, there was one or two sort of big events. Of course, Mario Draghi in the the European Union continued to do it for a little bit longer, but there was a pulling back. What we have seen in this crisis is, you know, I mean, the United States just passed its last stimulus two weeks ago, one year after, which means, you know, that lesson of saying just continue doing it until you get it and get to where you want to be has been a a second lesson, which means don't stop. Um, I think for us as a developing economies, the question is, yes, we learned those lessons, but we're not putting them to work for uh, emerging and frontier market economies. We would like that to happen. We got and uh, the G20, you know, approved 
the use of the debt service suspension initiative for emerging market economies and low-income economies, but it did it for one year and then for six months. We are asking for an extension for another six months. Again, a lesson from 2008, don't stop too early. You know, the crisis is still with us. Actually, we're getting into a second and a third wave. We're seeing a few more countries beginning to close down. So why are we stopping? The only thing we got, which was the debt service suspension initiative, and secondly, can we get the SDRs out and can we get them the, the special drawing rights out? Can we get them quickly enough so that we can put some more liquidity into our economy? The third thing that we learned was the need for safety nets. And in 2008, 2009, a lot of African countries that did not have social safety nets in place began to put them out. And we have spent the last 10 years perfecting those safety nets. So with this crisis, we have the safety nets, but we don't have the liquidity to use the safety nets again. So we need additional resources uh, to be able to do that. But we now have some of the institutional mechanisms and setups to reach the poorest and the most vulnerable that need um, support quickly. That was Vera Songwe, the head of the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. A quick look at markets on the continent. The Nairobi Securities All Share Index closed at 177 at the end of trading yesterday. The Scanet counter is still the biggest mover in the green, up by nine points, while the ever volatile Nairobi business venture is six points in the green. On the other hand of the curve, Ever Ready Batteries and Portland Cement are four points down in the red. A look at the Uganda Securities Exchange. Offshore remittances targeting the upcoming bond are likely to keep the Uganda shilling firm during the week. Overall trading is anticipated to buoy within 3,500 to 3,560 range for the week. Money markets are liquid with overnight yields trading between 6 to 6.5% levels. Bank of Uganda will hold a 500 billion two-year and 10-year treasury bond auction today. Globally, the dollar remained weak during Monday's session, partly attributed to the dollar holiday but also as the market continued to digest the poor economic data and its implications on the pace of policy tapering. Brexit and COVID-19 concerns impacted the pound that dipped to lows of $1.382 before ending Monday's session at $1.384 US dollars. On the commodity side of things, oil prices dipped after the world's top exporter Saudi Arabia slashed crude prices for Asia over the weekend indicating well-supplied global markets. Brent fell to 72 US dollars a barrel, while the US West Texas Intermediate Crude traded at 68.73 US dollars a barrel. Gold traded at around 1,820 US dollars level. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. And if you have any suggestions or want to check out more stories, visit our website. That is thekfinancial.com and don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at The K Financial. And you can find me on Twitter at Ruthedong. Music